Clip City is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts. And because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. With GameTime, you can buy your tickets in just two taps. You know what I wish I could do in just two taps? Clean my house. Maybe I need a Roomba. Two taps, house is clean, watch sports all day. But until then, I've got Game Time. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Yo, yo, welcome to a special edition of the Clip City podcast. I'm your host, Jovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And I am joined today by Justin Wilson. And if you don't know who that is, you definitely know him by his Twitter handle, at LA Clippers Film. Justin, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm not sure everyone would know me by my Twitter handle. (laughs) They should know you by it. They should. Now they will. Let's let's hope so. I don't think I'm that famous, <laughs> not yet. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, if if you follow if you don't follow him on Twitter, uh, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, this guy puts out great content, great tweets, uh, good insight into what the Clippers are running, what they're doing defensively, um, and you know whether it's just tweets by themselves or video breakdowns. Um, I, I think he's covering this team as well as anybody. Uh, so I think you should give him a follow uh, and. If you didn't know what his name was, because you kind of, kind of been a, a bit anonymous. You I know, know right? your, yeah. your name's not on your profile. Um, I remember when you put your IG uh, on Twitter, <laughs> and people were surprised. <laughs> so, uh, so now people know. Yeah, I know. I mean, I tried to, I tried to keep up with the whole anonymous thing for as long as I could, and then I did a little convincing of myself. You know what? Might as well show my face out here, see what the reaction was, and it sure was a funny day. That was that was hilarious. <laughs> so we are doing I, I call this a special podcast because we are doing the Clippers all decade team uh, right now it is a site-wide blitz for the athletic where everyone is doing the all decade team for the respective team they cover so for us that's going to entail a five-man lineup of three front court players two back court players uh, and the years we are going on are the same as NBA.com's uh, all-decade team, which they did in August, which is the 2009-10 season through 2018-19, which means Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, despite technically playing in this decade uh, as they're going to play, I don't know, 20 games or whatever uh, through the 2019, they're not eligible. Uh, so those two will not be on our teams Uh and as far as like kind of the the formula for picking this, um, I, I don't know what how you kind of sorted it out, but for me, the factors I included were games played, minutes, uh, per game averages, some advanced numbers like win shares, box plus minus, PER, uh, playoff appearances, playoff success and performance, and then my own kind of subjectivity of uh, whether I thought you know one guy was better than another. So. Um, Let's kind of get into that, and then we'll get into 
uh, a six man that we're going to have for each team. And then the coach who I'm, I'm sure that one will be a quick conversation, but easy. Um, <laughs> easy. Yeah. So let, let, let's start with the front court. Uh, you know, I think two of these three spots are, are pretty obvious, but that third spot was where things kind of got interesting. Yeah. Um, so wh- who did you go with for your three front court spots? Um, I did go with DJ and Blake for the four and the fives. Uh, it's funny. I almost got like, like PTSD trying to fill out this, this, this small four, this three spot. It made, it, <laughs> it reminded me of how bad the three spot has been for the it's Clippers been bad. for all, for like seemingly this entire decade. I was, I was like, maybe Tobias, maybe I, 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 I ended up going Gallo kind of just like you. I know I hate to be boring, but I, I literally couldn't find, couldn't think of anybody else that was like, you know what, maybe, um, I, I almost leaned towards Jamal just because Jamal played a ton of three, especially in those Lob City lineups, especially, um, he closed a lot of games at the three, which I wasn't the biggest fan of. But yeah, uh, he closed a ton of <laughs> he closed a ton of games at the three, and he won a t- he was one of the more popular players for the entire Lob City run, and um, yeah, he he was a vital part to making the Clippers for better or worse one of the preeminent franchises for the second half of the decade. So. Uh, it would either be Jamal or Gallo for me. Uh, I just talked myself probably into Jamal at the three, but <laughs> but yeah, that's probably who I would go with in the front court, and that kind of says a lot about the threes that we've had over this past decade. Yeah, so we're in agreement here. I went with Gallo. Um, I you know I think the the for me it came down to Gallo versus Tobias. I think like if we're going. You know, NBA.com did, you know, three front court and two back court. So uh, they, didn't, they didn't do like, you know, specific positions like, uh, uh, you know, I guess like the all NBA team. So it depends how you look at it, right? If, if you were going like, I need a center and two forwards or like I need a power forward and a small forward, you might look at it differently. I think if you're going with an actual three, I would probably go Tobias, even though he's he's kind of a 3.5, a little bit more of a four. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I probably would have gone Tobias. Uh, Matt Barnes is the other one that I think is in this mix. But again, that, that says the state of, you know, this is a guy who averaged, uh, what, I have it here, 9.3 points, 4.3 rebounds, 1.6 assists. Like, that is probably <laughs> their actual, like, if you're going by actual threes, that is the best three of the Clippers, you know, past decade. So uh, that's really the state of the, of the Clippers small forward situation. So I went with Gallo because I, I felt Gallo, um, you know, a couple years ago, it looked like a pretty bad signing. It, I thought yeah. even before they traded Blake, I, I didn't like the signing. I remember uh, that. I didn't, yeah, I, did, I didn't think it made sense. It was like, so now you're going Blake, DJ, Gallo. Uh, this is not like a super mobile front court because at that point, yeah. DJ He's- had kind of started to tail off athletically. Um, you know, Blake wasn't, he's was never been a great defender and, you know, kind of, it's become average or so, maybe slightly above average, but you know he has his limitations. And then Gallo, I was like, this guy's clearly a four, not a three. So that I was, just didn't really understand sure. that. Yeah, 
I, I I vividly remember when that trade happened. I was like, well, how is this going to work? He doesn't, I don't, I think Gallo is an exclusive four and then Blake Griffin was there. I thought more, more was coming, but turns out they actually uh, tried to make that work for a little bit. Uh, I think he played, he played like maybe six, seven games his first year with the Clippers. Yeah. It felt like, yeah, he, was no. getting, <laughs> felt like he was getting injured every other game. But um, to be fair, the next year, he, pro- he probably should have been an all-star. I think, personally, he was the best player on on, on that Clipper team. And um, for the most part, that was he's far and away the best that we've ever had, at least ever. Well, at least in this decade, probably the best that we've ever put out from from that position, if we're going by three front court guys. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, I, I think... So I thought it was clo- I thought it was close between he and Tobias. Like I know the advanced metrics really favored Gallo, and um, you know if if you talk to people around the team, like uh, they always felt Gallo's defense was underrated, and Tobias was a bit of a liability. So that was also another thing that kind of swung it for me. Where despite being, you know, on on paper and just kind of watching them play, like Tobias is the more athletic guy. So you would kind of. Like Tobias looks like he should be good defensively, but he's he's not. And, and you know, most of the times he's he's about average. He's about you know okay, but he is kind of trends more towards the negative on the defensive side. Whereas Gallo uh, was surprisingly a, a positive last season, and um, you know his ability to defend you know Giannis, and, and then you know the next night defend Marcus Sol, and uh, you know against Portland he was really good switching on to Dame and and you know ch- sticking with him above the three point line and stuff. So I, I felt with with Gallo overall just his efficiency offensively, the way he shot the ball, um, just kind of the the effect that had on the offense. Uh, you know he he finished with a top ten uh, true shooting percentage last season. Uh, in the list was, was Steph Curry, Joe Harris, and then a bunch of centers. Like you know, y- y- it's rare to see that level of offensive efficiency. So sure. I felt Gallo, you know, r- really, yeah. Like I, I think we're we're in agreement here. Uh, if you're if you're just going three front court, which is what I did, I think he's the third best front court guy they've had the past decade. Uh, but if you are going more positional based, I think that's where you can make the argument for Tobias, Matt Barnes, Jamal, like um, e- even J, you know, maybe moving JJ uh to to the three if you want to be super flexible but um yeah so i I think our our front courts are are pretty similar (laughs) they're the same (laughs) um just peep this reggie bullock um danny granger (laughs) yeah it's Uh, it's been a rough decade um hedo (laughs) turkle okay um that's that's insane yeah no uh i mean josh smith lance stevenson like Chris Douglas uh, Roberts in his high shorts. Yeah, yeah, you had the that one Jared Dudley year where he, yeah. he 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 was supposed to be like the savior at the three. They're like, we finally got a three, and then he wasn't in the best shape. He got injured, and it was just kind of a mess. Uh, and then they had to attach a pick, which ended up hurting them. Jeff Green, Jeff Green. Oh, oh, wow. I remember, <laughs> uh, I remember that the in- the Clippers got mad at me because I tweeted uh, after after they did the Jeff Green trade. I tweeted that it was a bad trade and they're going to regret trading a first for <laughs> Jeff Green. And uh, they, they, they got mad at me. And I was like, look, I'm just keeping it real. Like this, you guys are going to regret this. And they're like, ah, oh, but you know, he's going to, they're high on him. And, and then you saw it like Jeff Green was, you know, he, 
inconsistent as ever as Jeff Green is. And then they ended up regretting not having that what pick. Was it, like so. Three months of Jeff Green for a pick. And yeah, that was what's funny though is the, that the, yeah, the, those two picks, the the Dudley pick and the Jeff Green pick, uh really That's a uh, black really eye. Them. That's a black eye on Doc's tenure for sure. That 15-16 team, though, with with Jeff Green on it, that actually was a really good Clipper team. I think that year, uh, Blake missed like 42 games, but they basically went CP, CP, DJ, pick and roll with like a spread offense, and they, they actually ended up winning 53 games despite Blake missing like 42 games or something like that. I actually thought that was one of one of the one of my favorite Clipper teams, honestly. Well, and, and the thing with that year was, you know, that's the year they lost to Portland yep. uh, in the first round. That I, you know, a series I think they clearly would have won had uh, Blake and, and CP not gone down. But you know, they had that twenty-four hour window there in the playoffs where Steph goes down uh, against was it? Well, it wasn't Portland, obviously. Uh, was it who are they playing? In? Was it Houston? They I, I want to say it was Houston. It was Houston, yeah, because it was it was the Omer Ashik sweat <laughs> that he like <laughs> slipped on and got injured. And then you had a 24-hour window where the Clippers were the favorites for the title. And I remember how crazy that was. And I was like, there's not like this is insane. Like, you know, now they're they're gonna beat the the Blazers, they're gonna win in like five or six. Then they're gonna, you know, uh I forgot who they were were they they were matching up with the Warriors around two. I was like, they're yeah, gonna they match were, up with the they, Warriors. They uh, and and get them, you know, at best, Steph because Steph came back, I think, in game three or game four. That yeah, next he was going to miss the so, first two for sure. Yeah, so you're looking at it like you you can get a couple games on the Warriors, uh, and he's going to miss. It was he was going to miss the games in Oracle. So you were like, uh, you know, he you can steal at least one in Oracle, if not two. Come back to LA. Maybe he's back game three. Maybe he's back game four. But like, you have a real shot to take a three one lead on the Warriors. And that just <laughs> the I, next game. They, they. I mean, that was just that the was worst, crushing. The worst luck I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like that. CP and Blake both going down in the same exact game. That, so, and, so and, to, to, and what? No, go ahead. I, I, I was just like, that's. It still blows my mind to this day. I think that loss is more painful. I, this is my like hot take. Uh, I think the OKC loss is a little bit overrated. Yeah, I was like, I, I still think that I still thought they were going to lose the series, even if they won that game. Like with the way that KD came out in Game Six, like even if I mean, you could make the argument, I guess, that like he he had you know the the eye of the tiger, like he was coming out, like let's let's kill you know let's bury this, like let let's not go back to OKC, but. With the way, like they could not guard KD that series. I know Chris had his moments of like effectiveness, but all in all, they could not I mean, stop KD. Chris wasn't really guarding him one on one anyway. They had him playing in a crowd, and yeah. really, and, and Scott Brooks was doing God knows what with the Thunder. <laughs> he had like four people on one side of the floor. The spacing was bad, but but I remember I was at Game Four of that of that series against Oklahoma City and Darren Collison had like one of the best fourth quarters in like Clipper history. That was a really fun game. Um, I remember and, that game. And then, and then Chris, and then in peak Chris Paul fashion, he had one of his finest playoff moments in game five on 
till the end. Yeah, uh, man. So I, I guess where I was going with this was, you know, obviously the Houston loss is the most painful one. You know, three one lead. We we don't have to rehash that. But I think a lot of people associate the the Chris Paul collapse and the OKC series as like right under the Houston series. And to me, I think Portland and Utah are are you know more heartbreaking, more you know more difficult to deal with because they should like. I still think there's a there's a world in which they still lose that OKC series. If if not the more probable you know w- world is that they lose that OKC series. Uh, but you know Portland they sh- they were going to win that series. They they smacked them in the first two games, lost a close game three. Then they both get injured in game four. Uh, and and then that that uh, Utah series, you know they were up two one, and then Blake goes down, and uh, you know it, that was that was another series that. You know, by the end of it, Chris was just gassed, and you could see it in Game Seven. Like, uh, you know that that was kind of, and you and you've not seen like Utah. That was kind of the start of this Utah sort of run that they've been on, where right. you know they've been one of the top kind of four teams in the West every year. But um, yeah, like I think those two losses are more painful than the OKC loss. Like I, it was it was like weird to see Chris collapse in that manner, and and, and that was pretty jarring to to watch. And it, it was as big of a collapse as I've ever seen. And, and you know, an under, yeah. uh, you know, one minute span. But I think people kind of overrate their chance. Like maybe, who knows? Maybe they still win that series. But I think like Port- Portland and Utah to me, if Blake doesn't go down in, in the Utah series and if, if Chris and Blake don't go down in that Portland series, like they clearly win, I think both of those series go to the second round. And that that really, I think, would have also kind of changed the perception of this team because I still think that there's, you know, outside of not making the conference finals in, in the Lob City era, uh, you know, they, it seemed like they, it felt like they left some of those appearances uh, in the second round on the table where, um, you know, they, they only made the second round. Uh, well, I guess they made the second round three times and they lost in the first round three times. And, right. uh, you know, two of those three losses that they, they should have, I think, made the second round. And even in the Memphis one, like that was when they, they blew the 2 0 lead. So we could go on and on about like their, their playoff shortcomings, so- but I just felt like, you know the the perception of that if if you made the second round you know four years in a row five out of six years uh, I think people look at it a, a little more positively but the fact that they had they were snake bitten they always had playoff injuries it, it was really insane like I can't remember another team that has had one of their top two players get injured in like four consecutive playoffs um, it's think, just it, it's unfortunate so in my opinion I don't think I've I don't think Chris and Blake didn't have a single season together in which both played 70 games. And, and that's one of the things that, that's one of the things that hurts the most about the Lob City era. Um, Because in this, the way I see it is that in hindsight, the Clippers did not have the top end talent of uh, Oklahoma City, or later a Golden State or even um, almost as San Antonio by 2017 with Kawhi. Um, but, and we were hoping that Blake Griffin would become that guy and get into that tier. And because of injuries and because of flat out talent, he wasn't. But that's why it was so incumbent on them to probably get a first or a second seed in the regular season so that that gave them the best chance to get through the postseason. And when Blake and Chris can't play a single season where they're both playing 70 games, 
um, that one hurt. That hurt because if if you look at it now, Chris Paul can't even break 60 games in a regular season. But I remember in a 14-15 season how adamant he was to play 82, and he played all 82. And then the next year, he played 77. And we we got two peak health years out of Chris Paul, and we couldn't we couldn't get that along with Blake. And that that's one of the things that I I to this day it just sucks because there's no doubt in my mind they get a, at least a one or a two seed at least one time if they're both if they can get a healthy season together. Yeah, and you know it, it just kind of I think the the unfortunate thing with the whole era is. Um, you know, I think they, they are going to go down as one of the most underachieving teams of all time. Uh, you know, they, they were the only team. Uh, I, I forgot the exact wording of it, but it was like, th- I think th- they had the best record over a five year span to not make a conference finals o- which, over that five years, which I'm not a I'm not a big conference finals guy. They had a payroll of like a Cleveland Cavaliers at the time. They were like yeah. near at, or the top of the league. We're we're they they were building. They were trying to build a championship team. You either win a championship or you don't. And that's kind of like how I feel about their playoff failures. Like for instance, if the Clippers beat Utah in 2017, there's no way they're beating Golden State. That's a yeah. You know what I mean? Um the one 2014, the Oklahoma City series, I don't think that they would have beat Oklahoma in all honesty because game 7 in Oklahoma City probably gets them a um gets that gets the Kevin Durant rust that gets that done, but if they were to have somehow beat Oklahoma City, I think that was probably their best chance of getting to the final. Who who they would would have played next? The Spurs. Uh, the Spurs, yeah, yeah. And that, I that's think- tough though, because that's that's the Spurs team that uh, that that was the year they won and Kawhi won Finals MVP. So that that I mean that that team that. You know the the spacing, the ball movement, like that. That was a special team. So I don't know. But I, don't, I don't know if they beat that team. And and that's kind of like my point in the whole Lob City thing. Um, a lot of people, as you alluded to, are going to say that they underachieved, which in some respects they did, but in other respects they weren't. They weren't as good as those as that San Antonio Spurs team. They weren't as good as a Kevin Durant led Oklahoma City team. They were not as good as a Steph Curry seventy three and nine Warriors. So really, they built their team to compete for a championship, and in a blink of an eye, their division rivals, the Warriors, become this offensive juggernaut, and the Clippers they. They they kind of they kind of fell behind in that regard. So for me, it's like they did they did a whole lot as far as I think they were top three in wins for for the majority of that Lob City run. And yeah, I think there, it was it was Spurs and Thunder were ahead of them. Right, those were the only two. And there is there was no James Harden on the Clippers. There was no Kawhi Leonard on the Clippers. There was no Kevin Durant on the Clippers. There was no Steph Curry on the Clippers. And yet they were still competing for a championship. They were still winning 50 plus year in and year out. And so to me, that's very, that's fairly impressive. And it also makes sense that their highest winning season coincided with Blake Griffin being third in MVP voting, because in my opinion, that's, that's who could have changed that narrative if he became that tier player. Well, I, I would say the the only thing I would push back on is I do think that 
I think Chris was at that level. I agree. Uh, you know, I agree. He, he, I agree. he wasn't. I agree with that. I agree. So like he he wasn't obviously like you know Le, LeBron, KD, those two are are you know different different beasts, right? Like they're top fifteen players ever. Like you know LeBron. Like, we get what those two, and then Steph obviously changed the game with his shooting and his range and um, just his gravity and all that stuff. So like the the peaks of their powers, like no, Chris, I don't think is is on the level of of any of those three. But like he was right there. I, I think you know he was a. I mean, I have it here. Um, you know, he he made four All NBA teams as a Clipper, uh, including no, sorry, uh, five, in, including making the the uh, first team three times. Like, you know, Chris was, I, if you were averaging out, you know, ranking players each year as a, you know, during his time as a Clipper, he ranked somewhere in the three to five range. Like he was right there behind, you know, KD and and, and LeBron uh, it, with, I guess, like Steph and, and Harden and um, who else was in that kind of range during that. Um, I, I guess I'm, I'm, there's probably someone I'm forgetting, but uh, anyway, point B, like, I, I guess, I would say, I mean, I think the frustrating part was like from someone who, you know, I've been going to games uh, since 2011, like consistently, like, you know, uh, credentialed and stuff. And as someone like I, I've basically been to every home game uh, over the past eight years. There's a couple of seasons there where, um, you know, I was at ESPN and it just was kind of difficult with my schedule. But outside of that, I've basically been to every Clipper home game over the last eight years. And what you'd see is you'd you'd have those nights where, they would, you know, the Spurs would be in town, the Thunder would be in town, the Warriors, uh, you know, the Rockets, whoever was the Spurs, whoever's the good team at the time, and they'd beat them. You know, they, they, you know, some nights they'd whoop them. Like they had those games where they had like a twenty point win on a really good team, and you saw that potential of like when th- this team's clicking, like they could beat anybody on any night, and like not just like beat them, like embarrass them. Like they had a, you know, uh, especially when they played the Lakers, like they'd beat the, you know, they had that oh, stretch man. there where they were beating the Lakers by 30 plus <laughs> for like five, six games in a row. Yeah. A couple 40 point wins. Like they had one that was almost 50. Like they, like w- when they turned it on and they were locked in, like they could just embarrass teams. And I think, you know, for, for the non-casual observers who just saw them maybe in the playoffs or, or some random national TV games, like, this team was really good. They were really special. I agree. Uh, you know, and, and the two things that really cost them ultimately were the untimely injuries and the lack of depth. Like if this, you know, if they had gotten this front office a few years earlier, uh, I, I think they they won a championship uh, or at least. And I think the conference final thing, I agree with you that people overblow it. But at the same time, when you look at, you know, the, the Spurs, it was like the Spurs and Thunder, even when they weren't making the finals, they were still making the conference finals. Uh, you know, the Warriors obviously had the crazy run where they made the finals every year. But um, I, I think it was more disappointing of like this team had that potential and they just never broke through. Uh, and, and the other thing was like the, the, really the best team, in my opinion, was was that 14-15 team uh, that that lost to Houston. Like that was the year. That was, the, you know, that was the beginning of the Warriors. They had yeah. just beaten them the year before. Golden I think State if they go to the conference State, finals, yep. they weren't. They weren't. And you saw, you know, Memphis pushed them in that second round. I think if they play the Warriors in the final uh, conference finals, I think there's a good chance they win that series. Or it's like a 55-45 type, uh, you know, dynamic where you know maybe they're slight underdogs, but I think they could have beat that Warriors team. Like that that team to me was the most special, and it was kind of sad to see how that unraveled in, in that Houston series because that to me, because like you like like we just discussed, like 2014, I think they probably lose to San Antonio in the conference finals. That was a 
team on a mission. They were rolling, uh, you know, to, to get back to the finals to beat the Heat. In 2016, you know, they're going to play the Warriors, but Steph was going to come back. That team, you know, that's a 73 and nine team. Like they were really, really good. Yep. Uh, you know, they still might have lost that series. And then 2017, again, they were going to play the Warriors. So with KD and now on the team, like they're going to lose that series. But 2015 was the year to me where, you know, you make the conference finals, you get that off your back. And now you're playing a, a, a still inexperienced Warriors team that hadn't yet had that confidence of making the finals, winning their first title. Uh, so that to me was the year. And, and I know it's painful to talk about for, for Clipper fans, but um, yeah. that, that was it. And you also got to recall, there were, there may, LeBron may have been the only player better than Blake Griffin at that time by the yep. time the Houston series came about. So it would have been interesting to see what that Warrior team would have done against that version of Blake Griffin. I mean, he was, he was, he was incredible. And I, I, I don't know what happened, man. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Well, we were, well, also, what, go, no, go ahead. Uh, I said we were up 3-1. And, you know, I, I, looking back on that, they were getting some crazy contributions from, um, from Austin Rivers. Uh, Big Baby was, was giving them some good minutes at the time. I remember Hidu Turkulu in that undershirt. He made a he made he made some threes in Houston. Um and all of a sudden the ending of that that's the second half of that series, none of the support players could make a shot. And they went ice cold. Yeah. Ice cold. Jamal couldn't hit a shot. Matt Barnes couldn't hit a shot. Austin got went from incredibly hot to incredibly cold. And it was like the perfect storm, you know, and you don't you don't get those opportunities often. I mean, you're game six, you're at home, 20 point lead. James Harden is on the bench. It's over. And Josh Smith and Corey Brewer, man, your sweatpants are on for the day, but you're sick of microwave leftovers and frozen pizza. Enter DoorDash, restaurant quality food with a living room dress code with door to door delivery in all 50 states and Canada. Order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code CLIPPERS. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code CLIPPERS. Don't forget, that's promo code CLIPPERS for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. And and something that Bill Simmons talks about a lot that I think kind of applies to this team uh, is, well, well, two things actually really is, you know, it, it matters who your best five are. And I think this was something that this team always struggled with where, you had the Blake DJ dynamic where, you know, the, the league was shifting as those two were coming into their own together. And with the shift in, in pace and spacing and three point shooting, it did make it more difficult to play two guys who like to be, you know, on the block around the basket, you know, you had DJ rolling and Blake developed a shot really well. And now we can see with Detroit that he's become, a pretty impressive three-point shooter, even hitting threes off the dribble and step backs and stuff now. But at that time, he was starting to expand to the three-point line. He was you know, first expanding 16 feet, 18 feet, 20 feet. 
And I think they never really figured that out fully where, like you mentioned earlier, you know, whenever like one of, you know, and DJ was never really injured. So you never really saw that. But when Blake was out, you had the the Chris DJ spread pick and roll, which was like unguardable uh, if you had the right shooters around them. And then if they ever went small with Blake at the five uh, or or with a, you know, a next to a stretch big like like Lamar or, um, you know, even Hidu when they they sometimes would play him at the stretch four. Like Mm. I I like those lineups because then you had Blake at the five and him as a role man or or him kind of doing his thing inside. Like they were always kind of better with one of Blake or DJ off the floor, but they were one of their five best players. There was a huge drop off between them and the next best big all the time. And I just felt like, they never figured that out. And then to go back to, uh, you know, our original conversation about the front court, like the fact that, you know, if you went with their best five, right, for, for many of those years, it was DJ, Blake, Jamal, JJ, and Chris. And there were clear limitations to having that small of a wing and, and guard group where, you know, closing with three guards, uh, you know, they're often out of size disadvantage. It hurt them on the glass. It hurt them on switches. Uh, and, I just felt like their issue ended up being, you know, they had two bigs who kind of conflicted spacing wise offensively. And then they had like three small guards on the perimeter who kind of all had to play and and that presented issues defensively. And it also, uh, you know, presented issues offensively where you could throw, um, you know, that's kind of the limitation of Chris was you could throw a six, 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 seven guy, uh, you know, a rangy big wing and he could bother Chris a little bit, or you could put him on JJ and take JJ out of a series uh, or, you know, Jamal kind of goad him into taking some bad shots. So like th- the limitations there with those closing five, uh, I felt like w- was an issue. And then the other thing is, I-, I wonder if this team kind of came together too late. Uh, like it- this is one of those teams where if they had been together, five- like if-, if you took the, you know, I don't know, let's say the 2014, 15 version of them and put them in like 2007 or 2006 or, wow, uh, you know, maybe 2008 or not. Like, do, do they beat some of those teams? Because I felt like that was like from 2000, I don't know, three to like 2010. That was kind of a weird era for the league in terms of like, I didn't feel like a lot of those teams were that strong. And, you know, like, because you look at like two, from 2010 on, you got the LeBron heat, right. uh, you, you got those special Spurs teams, which really, um, you know, found the perfect role players, the perfect system guys, and, and really transcended, I felt like their actual skill level to be something that was basically unstoppable. Then you get the Warriors uh, and, and then the, the LeBron Cavs. So it was like, those teams to me are much better than any anything we saw really from 2003 to 2010. Like, I guess you had the, the couple Laker years. You had that 08 Celtics team. That's why I didn't say 08. But like really even 2003 to 2007 when the Spurs won a few titles, like I didn't feel like those teams were that special. I felt like those teams were kind of beatable. Um, They're just, you know, it was more of like the the Suns coming up short, the Mavericks coming up short. Like I felt like the Clippers were on par, if not better than some of those teams. So I don't know. I I just wondered, you know, with kind of the way they played and having two bigs uh, who, who were more kind of interior guys, like, did they kind of miss their era by a few years? Because they you know, they also had the misfortune of going up against the Warriors. And yeah. that, that just kind of happens. Like, look at the guys in the 90s who never won a title, never made the finals because of Jordan. Uh, you know, that, that and, basically happened with Le- between LeBron and, and Steph. Like, they kind of ruined this decade for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, w- it was tough. It got to a point where 
we would go into the season and we'd automatically count four losses because the Warriors are in in our division. And that's just an ode to like how great how great they became. And like I like like I said, I still I still would have loved to have seen what would have happened if both Blake and Chris were healthy for one year, just one year together, and see if they could have got home court throughout the playoffs. Because I think every series they won, they did w- with having home court, and mm-hmm. and I would have loved I would have loved to have seen that. Man. So <laughs> that th- that was probably the longest tangent I've ever done on a podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> just speaking that we we just went deep into the Lob City stuff. Uh, so let, let's get back to the teams. So, um, you know, front court, I went Blake, DJ, Gallo. You went Blake, DJ. Are you going with Gallo or Jamal for your third spot? Uh, I'm going Gallo too. Okay, Gallo. So let's go to the back court. Uh, I think similarly, this will be, a, you know, kind of quick uh, where I went Chris, which, uh, you know, I assume you have him too. It, well, and then we could, we could have a conversation about something after this, but uh, I went Chris and then I went Lou. For me, the reason why I went Lou is Ooh, nice. It, it, it ca- Interesting. It, it came down to to Lou versus JJ uh, for me. So Jamal, I, I you know you mentioned Jamal and and you know uh, won two six or was it two or three six men of the year awards? I know he won three overall, oh, but did he win? He won two as a Clipper, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, two as a Clipper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jamal was huge, but Jamal similar to Lou. Uh, presented some massive defensive uh, problems and issues where, you know, he just was a defensive liability. And I felt just looking at him versus JJ, um, you know, JJ, I felt was a underrated defender. I thought he was a solid team defender and could hold his own in matchups. You really wouldn't expect him to be able to hold his own. Now there were the times where like, you know, he's guarding clay and clay just turns and shoots over him and, uh, you know, there were certain matchups that gave him problems, but for the most part, I actually thought JJ was a, a underrated defender. And then offensively, what he was able to do with the floppy actions, uh, coming off pin downs, curling, all that good stuff, like, uh, you know, running that first play for him every game. Like JJ was just, I thought he he added such a unique element to the offense. He fit perfectly with what Doc was trying to do. You know, Doc ran a bunch of stuff that he ran for Ray with, with JJ and uh, you know, JJ was a, a special shooter, you know, a top five shooter every year. And I thought he really, you know, he had that one year where people forget he almost made the all-star team. Like he, he was getting some all-star buzz, um, uh, you know, and didn't, didn't make it. Uh, but he, he was just, you know, so efficient, so good. And I, I felt, you know, he, he, to me, it was, he was the toughest omission for me for, from the, the first team, but I went with Lou because Lou really, when you look back at these last two years, I think you look at Lou and Pat and Lou, you know, Pat is the outward face of the last couple of years. You know, he embodies everything about these Clippers, the underdog, the, you know, the blue collar, the toughness, the grit, um, you know, just kind of over, over exceeding expectations, overachieving, like all that stuff fits Pat Beverly and his character and his persona. But for me, like Lou was, you know, he wasn't the best player on either either year, right? Like the, the first year, Blake was the best guy. And then I felt like Tobias was the best guy. Um, and, and then, you know, last year, I, it was Tobias or Gallo. And then it was Gallo. But Lou stepped up both years and kind of saved the seasons where people forget what when the Clippers traded Blake, 
like they were under 500 and you know it was looking like like they're underachieving people thought they could be a playoff team and you know he had been dealing with some injuries and uh gallo was injured and they just had that you know ragtag like everyone in and out of the lineup and lou really held the fort down and became the leading scorer or he actually was the leading scorer but he increased his scoring average and really stepped up over that second half of the year and became that go-to guy for the team, became the closer. And then he carried that over to last season where even when Tobias and Gallo were averaging more points, getting more shots, Lou was the closer, Lou was the crunch time guy. Uh, and then some, you know, once they traded Tobias, it, everyone wrote them off, they're done, they're tanking, and Lou kept them in it again. And he became the, the leading scorer, uh, you know, took more shots than Gallo and uh, again, crunch time heroics, hitting that shot against the, the Nets. And, uh, you know, just I felt Lou ultimately did more than JJ did. And, you know, then I, I factored in playoff performance too, where JJ continually came up short in the playoffs. And that was just because of the limitations of his size and and people really focusing on, on taking him out of series. Whereas Lou, uh, you know, won the Clippers a couple games last year, uh, or, you know, last postseason, like, you know, and went at the Warriors, went at, Andre Gudala, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and, and made those guys, you know, look helpless against him and, and tore them up in the pick and roll, uh, tore them up in isolation, and just, you know, dominated them. And he was equally as bad at home, which was funny, the, the home road splits of that <laughs> playoff series. But uh, t- to me, you know, and it's ongoing because, you know, we're not counting this year, but like, you know, Lou's continuing to do his thing. But for me, ultimately, I, I gave Lou the edge over J.J., I know, you know the biggest thing that JJ has over him and that Jamal has over him is the games played, is the minutes. Those are factors. Uh, but to me, you know, I don't. I think if you put either one of those guys, like if you reverse the roles, Lou could have done what Jamal did. I think you know just as easily, if if not even better. Uh, and now he couldn't really do what JJ did, but I know JJ definitely couldn't do what Lou did over these last couple of years. So. It was it was tough. That this was by far the toughest one. It was either, even more tough for me than Gallo versus Tobias. Uh, I really wanted to put JJ on, but I went with Lou. Um, off of Game Five alone, I mean that was probably one of the greatest series in Clipper history, right? I mean, even though it ended in a loss, I mean that was that series kind of gave the Clippers their their identity that to this day that 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 we kind of know them for. Um, I went with JJ um, just because of what you said, as far as games played, um, he was so damn good with the Clippers. I mean, I think he had back-to-back seasons where he made like 200 threes and the Clippers starting lineups often during those lob city years were one of, if not the best lineups in basketball by, a ton of by a ton of metrics and a lot of that had to do with JJ Reddick's off ball movement. Um, he was kind of like an offense all to himself. And I, it got to a point where the Clippers were kind of relying on his floppy action, his DHO stuff that he had with, with Blake and DJ and things like that. Um, and that kind of what ended up being a crutch for them because come playoff time, teams would just put their six eight long ranging wings on the clippers on i mean on jj and they would take jj out of the out of the series and it would make things exponentially harder for the for the clippers you kind of saw that in 2017 with utah when it basically became the chris paul show especially after blake got injured because 
the Clippers spent the entire season running sets for JJ and all of their stuff kind of initiated off of JJ's movement. But for me, he was, he, he had his best, he had arguably when you consider, when you take everything into consideration, he had his best years in LA. Um, I enjoyed watching him play. He was, he makes some of the most ridiculous falling right threes that you could, that you could imagine. Um, and he was an integral part of of a of a team that made the that kind of put the Clippers on the map as far as consecutive seasons in which they're winning fifty plus games, and he had a lot to do with that. I had Lou as my sixth man only because he's only he has he hasn't been here long as long as JJ. Um, I think no doubt though that Lou Williams has been the better player. I think he's av- Lou's averaging like twenty two a game this year, which is by the way that's that's insane to me. I don't know how he keeps getting better as he's getting older, and and Crazy. I actually and and last night's game against the um, last night's game against. Who do they play? <laughs> I'm blanking out. Uh, Boston. Yeah, they play Boston. Yeah, last night's game against against Boston. Um, he actually was trying on defense, and he didn't look half bad. That's that's a conversation for another time. Um, well, but yeah, yeah, but but uh, I have some thoughts on that. Yeah, uh. but um, yeah, I, I'd probably I'd probably lean JJ for 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 that, um, just because of how important he was to probably up until now the greatest era in Clipper basketball ever. So we're we're in agreement because I I went well I went JJ as my sixth man um, and, and that gives you that flexibility to you could go with the three guard lineup <laughs> or you could put JJ in for Lou and and just really space I mean imagine if they had Gallo as the three during that era or imagine if they had had Lou instead of like this version of Lou instead of Jamal. for as good as Jamal was like this version of Lou is obviously a better player. Um, I would you know, argue. I I'd argue upgrade. he's a much, much better player. Yeah. No. I mean uh, that. Uh, I. I still have. Now uh, you know another thing for Lou that I, I didn't. Uh, well, even though I, I picked him, <laughs> but I, the one thing that gave me some pause was the defense because I, I do think that um, you know I, I think people. People like to hide, but you you had the clip which I included in uh, in my state of the Clippers, which is when I do like ten storylines uh, uh, through ten game increments, and uh, it, I mean some of his defense is just so egregious, and it's like <laughs> you you and you see now like I just went back and, and watched last night's game and like he made Brad Wanamaker look like an all stars a couple of times with a couple of his drives where it's like. Teams really like cruelly will pick out Lou. They will have, they'll either run a pick and roll for who he's guarding or have his guy be a screener or in, be involved in some type of off ball action that is, you know, designed to target Lou. And when you target Lou, you usually score or get fouled. So, like, you know, he does have his moments where he, he's really good at playing passing lanes and kind of almost like, hanging behind a guy, making it look like he's going to give him, uh, you know, post position and then sort of pulling the chair on him and, and you know, s- deflecting the ball or stealing it or whatever. Like he's, he's good at that. And, and when he tries, he, he can make some plays defensively. But for the most part, he's a big liability. And, you know, that was kind of my pot. That, that was what made it so tough. Like if I just went by the offensive side, I, I, I leaned Lou 
uh, you know, more heavily. But when I factored in the defense, that's where I thought JJ had a better argument for me. But JJ is my sixth man, so we we have the same six guys. Uh, let's talk about coach quickly. <laughs> I mean, I think this is a uh, a pretty short one. Yeah, no uh, brainer. So you have Vinny Del Negro. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, it's it's it's, it's definitely what, what, it's out of Vinny. It's out of Vinny or Mike Dunleavy, right? Yeah. No. See, so you got Mike Dunleavy's uh, twenty-one and twenty-eight season that he got fired in, uh, <laughs> and, and they got replaced by Kim Hughes, or you got you got Vinny who he deserves his credit for uh, the one or the two years of Lob City that he coached, uh, but he also deserves just as much blame, in my opinion, for not playing Eric Bledsoe more and for not playing DeAndre Jordan more. And you see, especially. And I, I would say both both players got better in that 2013 offseason, but not better to the extent that their statistics indicated. It was just DJ got Doc, who immediately put him up on the dais next to Blake and CP at Media Day and said, this is our big three. This guy's the next Bill Russell. He's going to win Defensive Player of the Year. And you saw you know, Bledsoe go to Phoenix – where he immediately became a starter, became an all-star, you know, caliber player a couple of years, and now is enjoying a career as, you know, I don't know, a top, you know, above league average point guard, you know, starting league average point guard over the last like five, six years. So that's where I dock Vinny. Um, you know, I felt like I, I never loved his rotations. I always felt like he, oh, you know, overextended the, the vets and, and kind of, was even more rigid than Doc has been at times, um, you know, because that's one of my only criticisms of Doc. Uh, but Vinny w- left so much on the table. Uh, you know, th- th- I, that Spurs team was really good, but they shouldn't have gotten swept that series. That I thought that was kind of embarrassing uh, in uh, 2012, and you know they blew that 2-0 series lead against Memphis. Uh, you know, like I just felt v- Vinny was not an adjustments coach. Like you, you saw that. Um, you know, I, I like I. You got to give him some credit for the the Memphis, you know, seven game series, but they didn't adjust against San Antonio and just got waxed. And then once Memphis got the ball rolling in in 2013, and they blew that 2-0 lead, it was like you know it didn't matter anymore. So didn't Blake uh, get? Didn't Blake like break his ankle? Yeah, in, against in that, uh, he stepped on Lamar's foot oh, in practice. Goodness, yeah. this is. <laughs> I mean, this is it. This is this is every year. Goodness gracious! Yeah, like I mean, so who knows? Maybe they win that series if Blake. But like, I mean, they got their asses kicked in Game Six. Like that. That and then you know, Chris got the ejection, and uh, that that was a you know that that was brutal. But so let's not talk about Vinny unless you have anything to add to that. Like let, let's talk about Doc. Like Doc came in uh, is is now one. He's had uh, four of his six seasons have been fifty plus wins. Looks like he's on his way to a fifth in seven years. Uh, you know, got this team to the semifinals twice. I think, as as we discussed, probably should have made the semifinals a couple more times uh, outside. You know, barring or you know, with health and and not you know, Chris and Blake going down. Uh, so, Doc really, you know, is the best coach in franchise history. It's not really close. Uh, you know, he, he's one of the best coaches of all time, and I think he he's been a you know overall net pot I mean clearly a net positive but like a, a a significant net positive like outside of his front office tenure which does not factor into this because this is coaching 
um, you know, he's done basically everything perfect as, uh, you know, it, overall as like a Clippers coach. He's just been, you know, now, I mean, there, there, there's some blemishes here and there with, uh, you know, if you take out the front office stuff, like we'll bring in Austin and, and um, you know, his relationships with, with guys like Chris and, and, and JJ and, um, you know, some of the, the, the way those things went down at the end, like I think Doc is partially to blame, but um, overall, like Doc has is, is been, I, I think, clearly the best coach in Clippers history. Uh, he might deserve, I don't know if coaches get statues, but he might deserve a statue at some point, depending on how long he coaches uh, and if they win a couple championships, like who knows. So uh, he, he was huge. I, I know for a fact he was instrumental in bringing Kawhi and, and PG in. Both guys really wanted to, to play for him. Both guys have talked up his coaching to, to start the year, especially Paul George. He's really gushed about Doc. So, uh, you know, I know that doesn't technically count in this decade, but overall Doc is, you know, if, if you're grading his, his coaching tenure, it's like a 9 or 9.5 out of 10. I mean, I I mean, I obviously was, being, I was joking, but um, yeah, he's, he's clearly the best coach in franchise history. Um, one of the things he did was gave the franchise immediate credibility. And yep. I think, I think stuff like that matters. Um, X's, uh, X's and O's genius, especially offensively. Um, he spits out top 10 offenses without, without blinking. Um, we've, we've kind of seen the, in the last three seasons or so that that had more to, that had a lot, just as much to do with him as the talent that he was coaching during the Lob City era. Um, you know, there were multiple times in that Lob City era where they were both top 10 in offense and top 10 in defense. Uh, I don't, I, other than his rotations sometimes and his over-reliance on older vets, which kind of ties into him as being a GM. Uh, he, he's, I, he's been one of the best coaches, not just in Clippers franchise history, but in the NBA since he's come to the Clippers. And I think untimely injuries will, will be the reason why people don't, why people won't recognize him in that light, but he really should because the standard that he's the the standard that he's routinely been at since 2013 2014 is only rivaled by a few coaches in the entire league during that during that time span so but i'm a i'm a huge doc fan i i, I love what he does offensively um the the set that he that he drew up out of out of the timeout to get paul george the win over oklahoma city just a few days ago He's he's fantastic to me, man. I'm a I'm a doc stand. Uh, we're in agreement. We're in agreement. Like I, I think, um, if if we were ranking the coaches of the past decade, I think you got to go. I would go Pop and Kerr top two, and then I would go. I mean, Doc's right there at three. Uh, you know, I think Spo's in the mix. I think Rick Carlisle's in the mix, uh, even though he hasn't had uh, some of the team success that you you would probably want from one of those guys. Um, I'm trying to think who else, you know, I guess Brad, Steve, Brad Stevens is somewhere in the top 10, but I really think it's, it's probably Doc or Spo like, like Doc Spo pop and Kerr, uh, I think are the top four coaches of, uh, of the past decade probably. And Doc is the only one that doesn't have a, a championship. And I, I think, you know, I mean, he has a championship, but not in that decade, you know, time frame Cause you know, Spo had the, the two heat years. Kerr obviously won three and, and then pop one one, uh, but I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think Doc, Doc is up there. He, he's going to be 
I mean, I don't know where he ranks all time of coaches, but he's got to be close to the top 10, if not in the top 10. Uh, I think he's knocking on that door and, and probably will finish top 10 uh, by the time he retires. So um, yeah, like, and, and I wrote about it last year where I thought last year was really good for his reputation because I think because of the the Lob City era and the shortcomings and the, and, you know, blowing the three, one lead and the OKC series and, yep. um, you know, the, the, the back-to-back losing. Cause what, what, what kind of pissed me off was that people all like, I feel like when I would hear people on like, you know, I'm not going to say any names or shows, but you, you'd hear certain people talk about the Clippers and when they talk about them, they would act as if they just lost to Portland in round one, or they just lost the Utah in round one. I'm like, you got, you got to have the context there. You got to say Chris and Blake both went out in game four. You got to say, Blake went out in I forgot if it was game three or four of the Utah series but you, you got to have that in there because you can't just say like they, they didn't just straight up lose to Portland or Utah they were if you watch the series they're clearly the better team they had the series lead in both and then they suffered injuries to you know the top two uh, players on their team and, and top 10 guys in the league so it's like you got to have that context but where I was going with that is just I, I think um, the star of Doc had kind of faded and last season you know, he finished second in coach of the year. Uh, he coached that team to a playoff seed when a lot of people didn't think they could have made it, especially after the Tobias trade. And, you know, I think he finally got some of the credit and, and recognition and goodwill that he deserved. And also, I mean, something we have not addressed, which kind of goes into the whole Lob City thing is it was a very unlikable team. Like, uh, you know, I, if you're a Clippers fan, you you did like Chris and Blake and and Matt Barnes and and JJ and Doc and everybody but like there was a lot of like unanimously again across the league they were not very well liked after the first couple of years so that kind of colors some of it too where people didn't like the the texts and and the whining and the bitching and um, some of the antics and stuff so like the, I get that um, so that that kind of also colors this conversation but overall I, I think Doc. You know, like like I think we're in agreement. Um, you know, he he is one of the best coaches of all time, one of the best coaches of the last decade, and uh, has really been um, really the probably the most important kind of situation with the Clippers over the last five six years, maybe outside of Steve Ballmer. Yeah, I, I think I would probably go Steve Ballmer and then Doc right under that, and I think you hit the nail on the head about his star kind of fading, which really 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 pissed me off it really was annoying because as you as you said there was no context to his playoff failures and you know i i know there was a ton that that the whole firing doc rivers was a real thing a lot of people wanted him out and it's funny now watching people just gush over his coaching and how the clippers have quote-unquote one of the best coaches in the nba again and and he's like a lot of his principles are the exact same. Um, a, there's not much different about him. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Doc fan. I'm glad to see that he's getting the praise that he deserves, and I think I think it's warranted. And I, I just hope that it he gets a championship out of all of this with the Clippers. Ever wonder how to get the hottest new sneakers? The ones that barely hit shelves? The answer is StockX, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. Millions are already using StockX to find everything after it sells out. From the latest Yeezys, to every retro Jordan, to the hottest new streetwear from brands like Supreme, Bape, Palace, and Kith. 
StockX ensures authenticity. Every item bought or sold on StockX is carefully inspected by hand to ensure it's 100% legit. Their experts go above and beyond to make sure you never get burned by fakes. StockX has removed all of the risk from buying and selling online. Now you can get the hottest, hardest to find kicks without having to deal with a random buyer or seller again. Want in on all the hype? Check out StockX.com slash bball for a surprise offer that won't be around long. That's StockX.com slash bball. Check it out today. Let's close this out with the your favorite moment of the past decade. There, there are a lot of good ones, a lot of ones that qualify, uh, but um, and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. If you need some time to think, I can. I have mine ready. So, um, whatever, whatever, however order you want to go. I, I think I, I, I think I mentioned it earlier, but I'm gonna go with game four against Oklahoma City at home. It was either that or obviously the game seven against the against. Uh, well, there's 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 three in contention for me. It's game. four four versus Oklahoma City in 2014 it's either that or 2015 game seven against the Spurs or 2014 game seven against Golden State uh I lean I lean towards the Oklahoma City one just because um that fourth quarter was insane um having Chris Paul guard Kevin Durant op- <laughs> optically was insane. Um, they were on the verge of being down three, one. Um, they, they were literally down for most of that entire series. I mean, not series, but that entire game. And yeah, Darren, Darren Collison, the energy in the arena was crazy. The optimism that the Clippers had after that game to me was palpable and you could kind of see it bleed over into game five. That was my favorite moment. Um, if I had another one, it'd probably be game seven against Golden State just because everything that came with that series. Um, but yeah, I'd probably go Oklahoma City game four. I think those are all good. Tra- I, I, I was going to go with game seven against the Spurs uh, just because I felt that was kind of the, it, it felt like val- like that to me was the validation of the entire era where it's the defending champs it's the Spurs. It's a team you should, you know, that should not have been a first round matchup. Uh, it was really, and you know, the league changed the the seating rules after that season because of how ridiculous that matchup was uh, with like the home, you know, like the division winner has to be the top three seed or whatever, um, or like the tiebreaker. So, so I, I forgot exactly what the rule change was, but they changed the rules after that series. And uh, I, I just, I, I felt like that that validated it because it was like you know no even it, even though they lost and and that you know again that was the year they lost to Houston so I felt like that was the best team and that that was a special team and, and just you know that was that was a war and you know the Spurs really you know that that they did kind of feel like what it would have been facing them in the 2014 Western Conference I was like that was still basically the same Spurs team that you know very similar roster uh, they didn't have that same kind of magic. And, and zip to the team that year, but uh, but you, you also had like had the th- from the Spurs side of things, you had that storyline of like we've never you know repeated as champions. So like they were trying to repeat, kind of change some of the narrative on their end. You got the Spurs' best shot. You have Chris Paul get injured in that game, and, and it's kind of hobbling. And for him to hit that game winner, 
kind of, you know, especially coming off of the 2014 OKC series where, you know, Chris had kind of developed a clutch reputation, but then that all went away after that OKC series. And he's a choker. He's never going to make the conference finals, this and that. Those conversations started to happen. And then for Chris to hit that shot on Tim Duncan, you know, one of the best seven players of all time, one of the best defenders of all time, uh, and also on Danny Green too. Like, you know, he, he was in that play. Uh, for him to hit it on both of those guys, like that to me was the most validating moment of the Lob City era. And uh, really uh, to me was the most special. Uh, but the other one for me was game seven of that Warriors series. Uh, and also that game seven against the Spurs was one of the best games I've ever seen, period. Like that, that was sure. a crazy game. Uh, but game seven against the Warriors was also like that. Like, uh, you know, and you you could tell because so I, I actually traveled to Golden State for game four. Was it game four? Which was the Sterling game? It was game. Sterling was game. The, the first game they played after Sterling was game four. I okay, remember yeah, so, that because they had a game three in Golden State that they won, and Blake Griffin was spectacular in that game. I remember that. Okay, so game four, I was on my way up to the game. Uh, I went to that game, and my my friend was driving, and, and we were, so we did a road trip. And as we're getting in, you know, pretty cl- I think we're like an hour out from from San Francisco, maybe a little bit less. Uh, I get the the tweet notification of the TMZ and I knew right away, like sometimes you don't know what, how a story is going to be, right? Like you, you I mean, like you see a news, some piece of news and you're like, you don't think twice about it or you don't really kind of just think about the ramifications. The second I saw that, I was like, this is about to be crazy. Like this is about to change everything. Like there's no way of like the league's going to step in. Like there's, there's like, this is going to be, this is going to be the biggest story. Uh, cause it, I think it was like a Friday night or it was like a it Thursday was, or Friday night. It was a was Friday it? night. It was like 10 o'clock PM when it, when it dropped. Yeah. So that drops and I'm like, this is about to, like, I'm so happy. I'm going to be at this game, man. Like this is about to be the craziest game. Uh, so that, so that game, I guess was up there for me too, but just winning that series because you, you saw the toll it took on the team of, you know, people saying, you know, you guys shouldn't play and, uh, you guys are cowards for for playing and different stuff like that. And um, you know, it felt like it felt like at the time you didn't realize how good the Warriors were gonna be. But you're like you're kind of like, this team's good, but like the Clippers are better. Like the Clippers shouldn't go to seven games with this team. Uh and you know, they went to seven and that was a really close game. You had that DJ block on on Steph in transition, uh, which I, I was a huge games, you know, partially game saving block by DJ. Uh, and, uh, you know, just winning that game, you, you know, and, and I think retroactively what the Warriors became almost gives that game more weight because it was like, right. you saw it in that game where, um, you know, David Lee was injured. So they went with Draymond at the four, you saw Draymond at the four. I think he had 20 something points that game. Uh, you saw Steph becoming Steph and just how Chris was a, you know, all defense first team guy and Steph was just giving him buckets. And, and he, you know, even though he's fouling him, all this stuff, like he, he couldn't stop Steph and, you just were seeing the kind of inklings of, of what the Warriors were going to become. And so that to me was a special. So I would say one of those two, uh, obviously Kawhi and PG, but that that's for next decade. Uh. <laughs> I I mean, it's, it's kind of funny in retrospect to think that, to go back to your earlier point, had this Lob City team came 
in like 07, 08, they probably win a championship because, I mean, Golden State was like, at that time, they were a sixth seed in 2014, but they had won 51 games. And like the the next year, the next year, the Clippers played a 55-win Spurs team, then a 56-win Rocket team just to get to the conference finals to play a 67-win Warrior team. It really is a pro- they really are a product of just uh, in in some respects they are a product of just coming in the wrong era era. I mean that's not even accounting for the Portland Trailblazers at the time who were like a fifty win team. It, they there was just so many good teams in the Western Conference during this time period that they didn't break to the conference finals. But like that that series win over the Warriors to me means a lot. That series win over San Antonio means a whole lot. So you can't go wrong with either one of those, uh, in in my opinion. And that I I remember I one of the things I remember about Game Seven, um, Golden State was that CP had like twenty two and fourteen, which is one of the reasons why I hate the uh, he doesn't come up clutch. He's a choker narrative because people conveniently forget a lot of the big moments that that I don't, but that's neither yeah. here nor there. <laughs> no, I mean, Chris, I think Chris is, uh, and then you saw it like, you know, still part of the decade, but now with the Clippers, you, you saw what he did in Houston. You you saw uh, that 2018 series. I thought he was Houston's best player in the series before he went down. He gave them, helped them get a three, two lead with that big game five performance and, you know, got injured again. Just kind of, it's been his luck. I uh, remember that was, his best shot at a title, possibly. I, I remember I remember the Clippers being down two one against that Spurs team and game four is in San Antonio. And if they lose a series and it's then it's over. And he responds with thirty five and and he keeps the he keeps the series alive for the Clippers. And that stuff like that unfortunately is only gonna be forgotten as the time goes on. But he has he has quite a few few of those moments during his playoff runs with, with Lob City for sure. It's 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 tough, but that that's kind of that, that's going to be one of the all time what if eras is the Lob City era in, in that team. But to re so let's recap here. Uh, to recap, I have we basically have the same teams. Like we both have Doc <laughs> as uh, as the coach, uh, Blake mm-hmm. DJ Gallo for both of us as front court. Uh, you have JJ and Chris in the back court. I have Lou and Chris, and then I have JJ as my sixth man. You have Lou. Uh, and then we, we talked about some some of the honorable mentions, uh, Tobias, Jamal Crawford. Again, if you're going strictly small forward like Matt Barnes, I think uh, I think Trez deserves a, a sm- you know footnote minor. Um, I, I had him on my second because t- I, I, I did this exercise over the summer and I, I did a you know one two and, and three teams and Trez is on my second team, so he, I think he deserves a, a minor footnote in this, but. Um, I think we covered pretty much all the guys who were deserving. I agree. I agree. That's a great call on Tress too. I mean, if 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 we incl- if we could have included this season the way he's playing right now, yeah. he, he'd be a shoe in. All right, man. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter? I know we covered it at the top, but let's do it again. 
you can follow me at LA Clippers Film. And if you want to know what I look like, you can just uh, follow me on Instagram at Justin Wilson underscore. All right, man. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, for those listening, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Yovan Buha. It's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. If you have not subscribed to The Athletic yet, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're listening to this podcast for. If you've not subscribed, uh, please do so. Please check it out. Uh, you can subscribe for free for a week. There's always different discount codes running. Uh, so check that out. Recently, I wrote about Landry Shamit, his mom, and kind of their backstory of, of how he got to the NBA. And then I also just wrote about Noah Eagle, the new Clippers voice, and um, you know just some of the stuff with him and, and his dad and, and kind of overcoming that last name and, and that shadow uh, and, and his hiring process with the Clippers and uh, why they hired him and what they were looking for and um, you know, c- sort of his preparation prop- process heading into the season, different stuff. So you should check out those two features, uh, different stuff throughout the week too of, of stuff off games and, and daily stuff. But um, thank you guys for listening and I hope you enjoy this pod. If you have any feedback for us, let us know on Twitter. Uh, you know, I love engaging with people and, and you know, this is something that I think is it's debatable. It's something that, you know, all Clipper fans w- can talk about and chime in on. So if you guys have your own versions of the teams, uh, make sure to tag us on Twitter and we could have a discussion about it. So thank you for listening. Yes, sir.